Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, the old saying goes, history does repeat itself. And in the case of what's going on in the world today with this global pandemic, history definitely repeats itself. In fact, 102 years ago, we were living through the Spanish flu, which in fact, as my friend Diane Houston and I discussed in our latest edition of Two States, One Story podcast, the Spanish flu actually got its start right here in the state of Kansas. Well, Diane, history really does repeat itself, I guess, as we kind of said in the intro. And here we are kind of living proof that You know, what goes around comes around, and a little more than 100 years later, we're all stuck in quarantine in 2020. Who would have thought we would be stuck in quarantine in 2020 over 100 years after the quote-unquote Spanish flu kind of took over the uh, the country, huh? Right. This is crazy, and the fact that we're recording this in a very unique way, not in a studio, but literally at our own homes, just like everybody else, is, you know, living proof that this is real, and there's a lot to be learned from history. It's not as cut and dry as people like to think this this has happened before and it will happen again yeah and and it's really amazing though you would think with the advancements of medicine we would be kind of past this kind of stuff where a pandemic like this can not just lock down the entire country but lock down the entire world it really does make you feel like it's the 1800s again and we're still (laughs) trying to kind of find kansas city on a map and figure out what this town's all about And boy, did the borders even matter then. I mean, as we know, uh, germs and pandemics do not care about invisible borders. But when you set up regulations different state by state, city by city, they become a massive problem every time, every time. And history definitely shows that in 1918. Yeah, well, let's go back to 1918, because I think that's the one that everybody's looking at. And that's the one Mm -hmm. that kind of everybody's pointing to and talking to the quote unquote Spanish flu that was back in 1918. How, How similar is what we are going through today to what people went through over 100 years ago? It is mind-boggling doing research and seeing these similarities um, to how this reacted and how the public even reacted. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because I think what we have to, to consider is that we forget, people forget, and the people who don't forget in this case are the scientists. The scientists continue to study this and reference it all the time. Obviously, the flu is a little bit different than COVID-19, but the, the similarities and, and how to react and how not to react can be seen in 1918. And like you said, of course, it was called the Spanish flu. I mean, we could get into a whole big thing about, you know, a Chinese virus, right? But right. Uh, the Spanish flu and the way that that got its name, it really, it, it's in onset of World War One and what was going on at the time. Because, you know, I, I've heard, you know, in recent 
days, you know, the reference to that we're at war with this pandemic. Well, like for real in 1918, we were legit at war and dealing with a major pandemic in our country. So to understand why it was even called in a Spanish flu in the, you know, in the gist of things in the, in the long term, it was because Spain, Spain was neutral during the war. And our president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, didn't want to alert too many people to any problem. You don't want them to know that you're weak, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially, we didn't report things like we would report today. I mean, you can't just hide these things. But back then, you know, of course, we weren't as um, communicative. Like when it comes to media, it was not like it is today. And so the Spain, because they were neutral, didn't care. They were just reporting it. And so people just assumed that it, you know, originated in Spain, thus the Spanish flu. Truth though, it actually likely started in the great state of Kansas. Are you kidding me? The, the 1918 Spanish flu, as everybody calls it, actually started right here in our backyard. Yep. How did you, that happen? Is that not crazy? I know a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people report on this and, you know, I hear, you know, it really, a lot of people say it started at Fort Riley. Truth is, it actually started likely. And of course, you know, it's always hard to, to really decipher where something starts when it comes to germs. But essentially, it, it started in southwestern Kansas in Haskell County. Um, and it was, you know, early in the onset of, of 1918, where they started to report at the end of January that people were coming down with what they called the grip. <laughs> I love wow. that phrase, the the, grip. The, or la grip, depending on how you look at it, um, because they didn't. It didn't look like the flu. You know, there's different strains of the flu, and this was very different. Um, the Spanish flu didn't affect the young and the old like a normal flu would. It was hitting the hardest people between 20 and 40, and who was going off to war? People in their 20s and their 40s. So essentially, the, in Haskell County, what ends up happening is that there's this. Everybody was sick. The whole county was sick, as they said. And then what do they do? They kiss their moms and they head off to Fort Riley to fight in the war. So what do they do? They took the Spanish flu with them or the, you know, influenza of 1918. Um, so the real big outbreak within one day, um, they say in, the, uh, in March of 1918, that in one day, 1,100 soldiers training at Camp Funston at Fort Riley came down with the flu. One so how day. do they how do they determine that it started in Haskell County? Like because of meatpacking plants out western Kansas? <laughs> like like how how are we getting the initial strain of that flu in Haskell County, Kansas? Well, I mean, they say it could be, and I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm a historian. So um, they say there's a lot of different types of birds that are native or travel through that area. And obviously, a lot of these strains come from animals. Um, and they, they even talked about pigs. I don't know. But um, I can't answer that. I mean, I don't, they can still not answer that. But the, the, they're looking at patterns, of course. And, and that's what scientists do today is they look at patterns. And when, as a historian, I'm looking for reference to unusual diseases prior to the actual outbreak because it started somewhere. So that's where, you know, the, the really more widely accepted theory now isn't just Camp Funston at Fort Riley. It's that it started likely with these soldiers that came from a very contained group in a county that was very isolated. I mean, it, it, imagine if they wouldn't have been traveling at that time. Maybe 50 million people wouldn't have died. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe we don't have the Spanish flu and we're not talking about it. And maybe we don't have something to look at 
to base off of this pandemic and the way that we've handled, you know, this pandemic, not just both locally, but globally as well, because this started from an isolated incident, what appeared in China and then expanded all over the world. And it's amazing to look at how quickly and how fast these diseases and, and these, you know, these uh, diseases, I guess, is the best of viruses can just travel so quickly across the world. And I think that what we have to keep in mind is that we are, we are a very mobile society today. Mm -hmm. And the travel, of course, and travel bans, however you want to put it, we travel way more now than in 1918. If you wanted to travel in 1918, you better get on the boat. And, you know, they called those floating coffins in 1918 because it, it spread so fast on these boats. But what we have to keep in mind is that had it not been, at, had we not been at war in World War I, had that not been going on at the time, it would not have spread the way it did. Yeah. Um, it, it just wouldn't have because people, I mean, very few people could afford in 1918 to take a trip across the ocean. Um, so this was all a government sponsored. And, and two, it spread in the United States. So we're, it, just like we talk about strains and how this is COVID-19 might have another strain later on. Uh, the Spanish flu was the same way. The, or I should call it, the, you know, in 1918, the, that, that strain of flu, right. um, had more than one round. And the first one, of course, was with the soldiers that I was talking about at Fort Riley. But then they would go from Fort Riley to other naval bases or to, excuse me, to army bases. And they say on average that 24, and I think there were 36 military bases in the United States, 24 of the 36 had cases, major cases of the flu before they shipped them off. Wow. So, and of course, yeah. And of course, that would have been not isolated at the time because who goes and vits, visits the military camps? Right. The lady, right? So then it goes spreading through the community. And that's exactly what happened in Kansas City eventually. We didn't really get hit with that first strain because we didn't have any military training bases in town. Um, whereas St. Louis had Jefferson Barracks. So there's a little oh. bit of a difference. Um, even where you lived of how it spread Kansas city being a metropolis or a growing city at the time had an outbreak later on when it hit round number two and round number two was the real dangerous one. Well, and, and I think also too, when you look at how close really Fort Riley is to Kansas city, you got to think we were probably one of the first major cities to have to deal with the quote unquote Spanish flu at the time. How did, how did Kansas city respond? Because the way we're watching Kansas city respond now Obviously, with two states, we're seeing one state in Kansas that has handled this very well. We're seeing a state of Missouri that is like, what are we supposed to do? And, and has no leadership mm -hmm. right now on their side of the state line. How did Kansas City handle it then with two different states? Uh, it was, I mean, history repeats itself, sir. The only difference here is that really governors at the time didn't get really involved in state activities or city activities. Um, so you didn't really see that. They didn't really have control. There wasn't a big population. Again, we are way more communi we communicate way more than we used to. Mm -hmm. You know, you can email someone. I mean, people weren't you know writing basic letters to maybe a governor, but we're not talking about the communication we have today. So governors really stuck, kind of stayed out of it. It was the cities that created more of their own thing. And I have to give it up to your friends, and I consider sort of friend now, uh, Mayor Lucas, for stepping up in this in this pandemic when other people wouldn't step forward and then also uniting both sides of the state line. So we all reacted the same way that did not happen in 1918 in 1918. It was a whole different ball game here in Kansas city. And I have to say, I got a little, I got a little pissy when I read this report 
Um, and it's a really, really good report on the 1918 flu that was published by Missouri uh, Journal of Medicine. But they said this, and I know you're going to like this because, uh, you know, of your love for St. Louis. Mm -hmm. It said, if St. Louis was the older, famous, urbane Missouri sibling, Kansas City was its rambunctious younger brother. Wow. With great potential, but still untamed behavioral issues, as will be discussed. That's I'm like, funny. hey, hey, wait a minute. Now, in fairness, St. Louis reacted way better than Kansas City. So the but difference in fairness, St. Louis had been around much longer, was more established was, as a city, had leaders. Yes. It wasn't like what we've talked about throughout this whole podcast, Diane, is that we were, we were the, like the last frontier. We were still trying to figure out, you know, where, where the streets were going to be. St. Louis was already established. <laughs> they had, you know, they had I the know. in place, right? So let's not credit St. Louis too much on this. Hey, I agree with you. Ahead, you know? <laughs> right, right. They had more experience than we did over here on the other side. Mm -hmm. Well, but in truth, Kansas City was really a hot mess. So we have to consider a couple different dynamics. And I think this is so fascinating because it all goes back to the stuff I've been talking about forever. The biggest thing is that Kansas City was gross. It was still pretty gross in 1918. People were kind of um, built up on top of each other. Think about when the suburbs really blossomed in Kansas City. That happens later than really 1918, minus a couple areas in town. So people were still kind of crowded in downtown. So sanitary conditions were a no-go. Like public bathhouses, disgusting. Like their indoor plumbing, maybe. Uh, how about the idea of running water? Not most people. So you're already going to have a setup that is a disaster, okay? So we have to consider that for one. We also have to consider that there's only one major public hospital, and that's General Hospital. And um, General Hospital had 350 beds at the time. Now, there's private hospitals, but you better have the money to be able to pay for those private hospitals. Another so nothing's problem. changed then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about insurance coverage in 1918. Right. Um, but the other thing, the biggest thing, and something we haven't really talked about, and it's really not my forte, you know, but I, it is very important, is that we were under a very interesting democratic machine in Kansas City. As in, the, as in the bosses. And of course, the biggest one that everybody brings up in this time period is going to be boss Tom Pendergast. Right. So we have to consider that Kansas City is a democratic, for the most part, democratic. And you have two major bosses at the time. We have Joe Shannon and we have Tom Pendergast. Both now are Democrats. Joe Shannon? Joe Shannon is another democratic boss. He lost power later, but he is running a different ward or different section of town. He's more in the northeast area of Kansas City. And uh, boss Tom was more in the West Bottoms and that in, in the first ward. So they were fighting internally. So that's a mess. Yeah. So what ended up happening in the election before this, the mayor Cowgill, which is uh, Mayor Cowgill is the one who was mayor during the pandemic in 1918. Before his election, the prior mayor was a Republican. And the reason the Republican actually won office, even though most of the you know, city was, was Democratic, uh, followed uh, that, was because the, uh, the time period these two guys were fighting. So they were fighting within each other. And then because the votes were split so much between their candidates, they, they basically canceled each other out and then the Republicans won. So the, the whole idea was Pendergast and Shannon realized they had to work together in order to have their candidates win. Yeah. So what they did is they had an idea of 50-50 split. Means I'll take 50%, you get to add 50%, and we appoint everybody who's in office, right? So they decided who was mayor. 
They decided who was on the city council. They decided who was on the police department, the fire department, and the health board. So, of course, if you're putting in people that you like in the health board and all of a sudden there's this major flu that comes through town and they're talking about having to quarantine, does that work well with business interests? Of course not. No. So, Boss Tom, his big business interest at the time was saloons and gambling. Well, that's a big problem when you say you're going to lock down. So when the Spanish flu hit in Kansas City or the flu pandemic hit Kansas City, the first cases were in um, army uh, motor car stations, essentially. So there's some cases that uh, developed there at the beginning of October or the end of September and early of October of 1918. And the army's policy, which I love this, and it still is, is that if you find a case of influenza, you quarantine for 21 days. No questions asked. 21 days, you're out. So they quarantined them, but as I mentioned before, the ladies like to visit the soldiers. And so what ends up happening is that some of the community gets infected, including um, Fred Harvey Restaurant and Union Station. The workers got infected. Hotel Mulebach, workers got infected. And so when you're around the public and you're out there carrying this, you're going to affect other people. So it became, it, it spread like wildfire. It took no time whatsoever. And, and the reaction was slow and one of the worst in the United States, honestly. Yeah, because of the, because of the financial side of things, which is kind right. of what we saw now, tw- uh, you know, 102 years later, we're still seeing the same type of behavior because people are like, well, how long can we shut things down from a, from a financial side of things and close down businesses to stop the economic engine that is our country? Well, and that's just it. And remember that your political bosses are making money off of businesses. Right. So they're the ones that are saying there's no way we can quarantine for all this time. So, so to go over the timeline, and it's real complicated, this is what happens when you can't make up your mind and there's too many people in charge. You know, not, there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Is that um, on October 7th, the mayor decided that there should be a public ban on gatherings of 20 or more people, Right. Okay. No more. So that should take care of some things. The next day, the schools closed. Okay. And, and essentially, Kansas at this time, the mayor of Kansas City, Kansas is like, I'm taking this a step further. We are closing down schools. We're closing down churches. And they shut everything down, which is why Kansas City, Kansas, in the long run, ended up better on the, on the side of things. The other problem is this. When they close down the businesses, how long do you think you need to give it to until things are under control, like stay home, don't go out if you're sick, no gatherings, 20 more people. How long do you think that you should give that before you lift a a quarantine like that? I would say a minimum of 30 days, probably. How about a week? They gave it seven days. So that didn't work out so well. So what happens is, of course, seven days later, they're like, let's lift the ban. Well, obviously, they're getting pressure from the political bosses that things aren't going well in Kansas City, the community is suffering, and all of this. Um, and there's public health officials like saying certain things and then they turn around and another one, there's internal fighting going on. So everybody's sending mixed messages, which sounds really familiar. <laughs> and then essentially, I love this because the, the people that actually came together and said, what the hell are you doing, guys, mayor, you're an idiot, was the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce came together and said, this is ridiculous. Somebody needs to change something quick because what we're doing isn't working. You're just, you're going to kill people. I mean, it it was, it was bad. So the chamber of commerce came forward and when they did, they went, Oh, okay. Maybe we should have done that. 
we shouldn't have done that. And so on October 17th, two days later, guess what they do? Shut it down. Shut it down again. So they say there's no public gatherings except for wartime activities, which of course is a problem because there's lots of wartime activities at the time. Um, and then also the streetcars were an issue because they're making money off of how many passengers they're carrying. And so they tried to say, okay, well, you have to wash down and sanitize the cars at night. I'm like, were they not doing that? beforehand <laughs> I mean like that's a new that's a new idea the other place was theaters theaters felt like they were being attacked and they of course needed the business you can't limit that to 20 people and so they became they're like we're not even going to listen to you do you think the saloons listen to them uh no so they pretty much stayed open and I love it because they even capitalized on the the flu they had signs inside inside of the bars that said uh, they had quinine and whiskey for the, you know, to, to ward off the, you know, flu. I mean, just looking alone at what they thought was a remedy for the flu at the time is baffling. Like quinine, whiskey, sure, sounds great. I mean, there were advertisements for Jay Rieger, you know, even before this, it says that, you know, their whiskey was good for the grip. So it was a, it was a misunderstood. There was no real treatment for the flu at the time. The right. only treatment was quarantine. The only treatment was isolating the people that were sick. Um, there was no test at the time, of course. It was just by symptoms. And this was a really, really, really dangerous flu. People died within 24 to 48 hours. They immediate, some people like literally onset of symptoms dead 12 hours later. And it would be like you cough, and then you cough up blood and then you had blood running out of your nose and your face would turn different colors. I mean, it was, it was not a pretty way to go. I mean, it actually even resembled what they said would have been like the black death at the time. Well, like it's, it, 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 was it, it sounds like a, a, a lot of things that were going on then were going on now. Like I don't understand why our leaders or anybody really doesn't look back at history. When this thing started to creep up and people started to get word of this, why didn't people look back at 1918 and go, how did we handle it then? And what can we learn from the way we didn't handle things back then? They did. The scientists did. That, that's the, the key. The scientists did. The people, the public did not, right? The, the average citizens, the, the people in charge, they didn't study. And I've actually seen that like George Bush apparently read a book about the, the eight, 1918 pandemic and immediately went into action when he was in office. But, you know, it, it takes it takes consistency and it takes it. You know, if we don't read it, 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 I have this huge Kansas City history book that I use for my class um, that is I mean, it's it's a big, thick book. It has one bullet point about the 1918 flu in it. One. And in the end, it killed 2% of Kansas City. I don't understand how it got one little bullet point when it was such a big deal, but we forgot what a big deal it was. And we, consistency is everything. I mean, Kansas City at the time couldn't stay, you know, couldn't stay consistent because they had the pressure of the political machine behind them. And it was... It, it, you know, they had to keep issuing orders and then they went up against them. You know, they would offer suggestions and then they would say, never mind. Um, it went on forever. I mean, it, essentially, the, the second quarantine in Kansas City, where they, you know, have a stricter ban on public gatherings and all of this, it lasts until uh, about three weeks, which sounds like a good, but they mm -hmm. lift the ban and schools then reopen. Well, they said, because we're reopening schools, there's probably going to be another spike of, of flu cases. There wasn't just a spike. It went out of control because they lifted the ban too quickly. And then they closed the schools again. Kansas City is a little known, a little fact for you. Most districts across the country, cities specifically, 
um, had closed school twice during the pandemic. Kansas City closed them three times because they couldn't get their shit together. It was, it was like they kept lifting too quick. And, and the other problem that happened is because no one, who was in control of the police at the time? I mean, obviously, Boss Tom and, and, and Joe Shannon. And they wanted things open. So were they issuing tickets for bars being open? Of course no. not. Of course not. And so what ends up happening is all these people end up, you know, overcrowding. And because cities around us, like Kansas City, Kansas, where you couldn't get a stiff drink anyway, right? Right. Um, Kansas City, Kansas, those people were like, well, we could go to the theaters in Kansas City. So they start coming in. So it's bringing in traffic. And so then the Chamber of Commerce again says, you have to stop this. We're killing people. And I mean, some of the quotes at the time are absolutely, I mean, they could be today. And, you know, it, it blows my mind that we're still talking about this and, and, and we're still in the, you know, in the early stages of really what, what happened back then. We're just in the early stages. So how point. did they eventually clean it all up, get it done, get it out, and, and start up life again? Well, it took some time. I mean, a little bit it was a sting, and they were finally looking over what was going on across, you know, the country. Um, you know, there, again, there was no treatment for the flu. The best treatment was nurse care and, and isolation, um, you know, because your fever spikes so much. Um, you know, it, the real the real issue became um, right before I should say right before Thanksgiving time. Uh, the mayor revo- removed all the restrictions again because they couldn't make their mind up. Public schools reopened. Twelve days later, public schools closed again because guess what happened? Another outbreak is, you know ensues. So they went back to school finally for the final time um, on uh, December thirtieth. Um, they restricted or all restrictions were lifted right before Christmas. And I love this. So like December 23rd, Merry Christmas, everyone. We're lifting all the restrictions. Everybody go out with your families, <laughs> like celebrate. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have the mayor's Christmas tree with the little kids, poor kids coming and getting their free gifts from the mayor. All that stuff went on. So the spike continued. It really continued into 1919 in Kansas city. Um, there, there was no ban after December 23rd life, I guess, essentially went back to normal except for the death toll. Um, Kansas city per capita had one of the worst death tolls in the entire nation. St. Louis, our buddies to the, to the East had one of the best, um, outcomes because they didn't, you know, they didn't, up they didn't, uh, keep changing their mind about their restrictions. And in the end, in the last four months of 1918, 1,865 Kansas Cityans died. Um, and in the spring 1919, there were over, by the end of this whole pandemic, there were over 11,000 cases and over 2,300 deaths in the end. In Kansas City. In Kansas City, with a population of approximately 250,000 at the time. So about 10% of the people that lived here died. No, not 10%. 20, it was 2,000. At, it would be 2%. And then, oh, okay. at, yeah, but cases-wise, yeah. you know. And you have to also remember how good were they at reporting cases at the time? Like, right. not as good as they are now, probably. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other, because too many private things. And the other thing you have to remember is that the younger doctors that would have been trained in more what we would call traditional medicine and germ theory because they still didn't know what the hell really caused what at the time. So these more advanced doctors that actually had better education, the younger ones were all off at war. So we were left like all the old fogies. (laughs) 
<laughs> that were diagnosing people. We were short of nurses because they were all, of course, overseas. It was a recipe for disaster. I mean, on Armistice Day in Kansas City, 100,000 people, this is November in the middle of the pandemic, 100,000 people crowded the streets of Kansas City. Yay, war is over. Now we all have the flu. Right. I mean, it's like you have to learn from the past. And, and I have to commend a lot of how our local governments on both sides of the state line have handled this pan, you know, this pandemic. It's not pleasant, you know, to do what we're doing, but they did it with little entertainment. Think about what entertainment you would have had. We have, you know, Zoom happy hours and we have Internet to keep us occupied and and all of that. Back then, you didn't have much of anything. That's why theaters were such a huge blow to the economy is that that's how people entertain themselves by going to the theaters once or twice a week or going to their clubs once a week and all of those activities were, were taken away from them i mean it is mind-boggling to me after doing all this research how similar especially in kansas city the reaction like for the missouri side of the state line has been in this pandemic and i think it's something that we have to really examine and and see that a hundred years ago this happened 102 years ago and they say that this type of incident or this type of thing in history um, repeats itself I mean it ends up happening about 100, every hundred years and I don't want you know my relatives in a hundred years to go through something like this if it could be prevented and you know we have to learn from these messages of the past scientists are still trying to figure out the 1918 flu just like they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on right now I hope you enjoyed that look back at the Spanish flu, which I guess could be called the Kansas flu. How Kansas handled the situation, how Missouri handled the situation, and how what we experienced over 100 years ago still maintains to be true to this day. Hopefully everybody's staying safe and everybody's staying healthy, and we can all get through this latest pandemic together. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.